leading up to the time of Jesus's crucifixion. And it is a direction Sunday morning in which we are so thankful and grateful that Jesus went through Thursday night and into Friday. It truly was a good Friday because of what was accomplished there. So thank you for your presence tonight. Speak to us through the music and the word and through the communion. And we pray that you'll be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.
I think most of us like Peter, the apostle, that uh, I think we can identify with him pretty easily and relate to him, relate to his weaknesses, like his impulsiveness and, and his perfect ability to put his foot right in his mouth. We, we can relate to that, that he was sometimes cowardly and sometimes brave, sometimes unfaithful and sometimes really faithful. I think about sometimes who I would like to talk to in heaven. Definitely Jesus. But there are some others that I wrote down here that I'd like to have a conversation with Abraham and Moses, David, Jonah, Nehemiah, Adam, Job, John and Paul and Mary. But I think there'd be a big crowd around Peter. I think there's lots of things for him to talk about. He could talk about his confession at Caesarea Philippi, where he realized it was revealed to him that Jesus was the Christ. And upon that rock, Jesus would build his church. Or how about the stormy night at sea when Jesus walked out on the water to them? And Peter, alone of all the disciples, said, Lord, can I come out there on the water with you? And Jesus said, come. And he walked out there on the water. Wow, what a story to hear. Or how about the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus appeared to them in a glorious form. And and there were Moses and Elijah there as well. Maybe he'd talk about the day of Pentecost when he was filled with the Spirit and, and preached to, you would think, a very hostile crowd. Yet thousands received Jesus as Savior that day. I think for sure he'd want to talk about that time that he was arrested and in jail. And he was going to be executed the next morning. And then an angel appeared in his jail cell at night and opened up the the doors and he walked out freely. But I think what Peter would most like to talk about himself would be the dark night in which he denied the Lord Jesus after the Passover meal. That he called down curses on himself if he knew who Jesus was. Perhaps he even considered ending it at all. Like Judas would that same night, but he didn't because he was saved by a look. He was saved by the look of Jesus. Such a look of deep love and forgiveness. Now, he didn't hang himself, but the scripture says he did go out and weep bitterly. I think we can learn much from Peter and easily relate to him because he's not perfect and we're not perfect. We boast like he does. We mean well like he does. We we love Jesus, but we fall short. So I want to tell a part of Peter's story found in Luke 22. The whole passage is 31 to 62, but we're not going to read all that. But it's, it's found within that passage. So at the Last Supper, Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. And Peter is all that you would want a disciple to be. He was truly sincere. He he wasn't fake. You know, he wasn't in this for the money. Uh, I believe his intentions were noble and honorable to follow Jesus to the very end as he said he would. He believed that about himself and we believe that about ourselves, too. I think Peter felt strong because he really was blind to the temptation that was going to come his way. And so are we. But he was actually quite weak at that moment. 
And then when temptation came, he gave in. Now, Jesus would often speak to all the disciples, but he would call out Peter and like he was addressing him singularly. For instance, Luke 22, 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And where it says he has asked to sift you, it's plural. So all the disciples were also going to be sifted like wheat. Not just Peter, but Peter was going to be really singled out, though, by by Satan asking permission to go after him. And in that verse, we, we have Peter's temptation, fall, repentance, restoration, and future ministry all wrapped up, it seems like, in verse 32. It's really a neat verse. So what Jesus was saying, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, Peter, tonight. All of the disciples were in mind. And I think that's true about us, that the human spirit or soul is the most precious thing in the universe and that it's the desire of both God and Satan. We, we may think very little about our soul, but Christ and Satan think about it a great deal and want it exclusively for themselves. So after the supper c- concluded, Jesus and the disciples walk up to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed. Jesus then entered into his agony over going to the cross while Peter and the others slept. It's worth noting, and Mark records this in his gospel, Mark's gospel is usually considered the first gospel that was written of the four, and it's Peter's voice behind Mark's gospel. And it's so often in Mark's gospel where Peter appears the worst. And I think that's because that's Peter's voice uh, having Mark write that down. But he, Peter was sleeping along with all the other disciples. But in Mark 14, 37 to 38, again, Simon Peter is pointed out. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I think Jesus is reminding Peter here that Peter, just a few hours ago, you were boasting about how you would go to death for me. You said that you'd be faithful, that you would never deny me. And now you're asleep. You need to be alert. You need to be awake right now. You need to be praying because the enemy's on the prowl and the enemy wants your soul. So perhaps you can hear the Lord saying that to you tonight. We make so many promises to the Lord, whether we verbalize them or we thank them. We promise the Lord this and that. And we don't always deliver on our promises. We break them. When Peter said, that he would never forsake Jesus. I wonder if he was thinking about if there was a physical attack coming against Jesus. Because it seems as though what happened in the garden, Peter was prepared for. He had a sword with him, thinking that they may grab Jesus and and attack him. 
And, and so I'm going to be prepared. And, and so he swung his sword at uh, the, the head uh, of the servant of the high priest. And remember, it cut his ear off. So either Peter's a pretty has pretty bad aim or, or that guy was pretty quick and moved his head in just the nick of time. And then Jesus rebuked Peter for that. And I wonder if that confused Peter, if he was expecting Jesus to commend him for his bravery in standing up and defending Jesus. But Jesus really doesn't need us to defend him. And just think about how that move by Peter could have made everything go haywire. What if all those, you know, the temple police all of a sudden uh, killed Jesus before he went to the cross and Peter? So, bad move on Peter's part. But in perplexity, I think, in confusion, as Jesus was led away by the temple police, it says that Peter followed from afar. I think he's thinking, I better not get too close. They might arrest me too, because obviously I've been identified with him. And so they took Jesus to the palace of the high priest. And a crowd had already heard word of This or something has happened and they had gathered in the very early hours of that Friday morning. And you can probably picture in your mind's eye the flickering of torches and the murmuring of conversation going on as people are whispering back and forth about what's happened. And you can kind of picture Peter standing over in the shadows by himself watching everything. And I think what Peter did that night is what we would probably do as well. We wouldn't want to be separated from Jesus in his hour of need. We'd, we'd want to be close, but then we'd be a little bit afraid to get too close and get, get arrested or identify in the camp of the unbelievers. So maybe it's easier just to kind of stand back in the shadows from afar. But Jesus told us that we have to carry our cross, give up our life. And I don't think we're ready to do that, either figuratively or literally. So I think sometimes we keep one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. Matthew puts it that Peter had come to to see the outcome or in another translation, see the end, see the end of Jesus. What's going to happen to Jesus? And so there were other curious people standing around the fire in the courtyard of the high priest who were also curious to see the outcome or see the end. Now, here's what I think, taking all four Gospels, the probable order of events that happened that night. First, a maid who kept the door of the high priest recognized him as one of Jesus's disciples, and he bluntly told her that I am not. Secondly, after a little time passed, A man said that he was one of them. I think Peter just moved away at that point. Thirdly, the same maid accused him again. Fourthly, another man, a relative of the man who lost his ear, said, you're one of them. I saw you in the garden with Jesus. He denied it. And then finally, a man accused him of being with Jesus because his Galilean accent gave him away. He denied it. He called down curses on himself if he so much as even knew who this Jesus was. Well, temptation is so tricky and deceptive and powerful. It catches us in a weak moment 
while our defenses are down. Maybe we're low and discouraged. And that's when Satan sneaks in. He, he probably knows that we're not going to fall for some big heinous sin. So he catches us in little ones. But really, there are no little sins. Sin is sin. And aren't we like Peter? Well, we sit in church and sing the songs. And then tomorrow we deny Jesus in little ways. Maybe it's the person on the street asking for help. And, and Jesus has come, in a sense, in that person. They're one and the same, he says. And then the world accuses us of hypocrisy. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're more righteous than we are. And then sometimes the little sin is that we stay quiet about Jesus when we have a golden opportunity that's been presented, but we just kind of cower away in fear and lose that opportunity to speak. We deny him, too. And then we warm our hands at the world's fire. But there were two things that rocked Peter's world that brought him to a census that, that got him out of that temptation, which could have led to despair and who knows what else. The first one was that a rooster crowed. Now, roosters and chickens, they, they crow all the time. That's what they do. It's just part of their nature. Our son and daughter-in-law have two lane hens. They used to have three, but a fox got one of them. So our daughter-in-law says when that fox comes around, those chickens make so much noise that she knows that that fox has come back and, and she's even seen the fox there. So Jesus, at that moment, was being lied against, mocked, struck, betrayed and denied. But then a rooster crowed right as daylight was approaching. That's what they do. But this was not just a natural phenomenon. It's the timing of it that's so crucial. Luke 22:60. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So, again, it's the timing of that event that is so crucial for Peter coming to his senses to wake him up out of his slumber. And God still does that to us, for us. Maybe it's a passing word that someone says or an image on our TV screen or a billboard or the lyrics of a song that we hear. It's something that stirs a memory that pierces our conscience and lets us know, yeah, you are the man. You are the woman. You've denied me in some small way. There was a second happening that brought Peter to his senses, and it was the look of Jesus. So, so Jesus is bound. He's been bloodied. His face has been struck. And he's led out past the courtyard. So right at that moment, the rooster crows. And Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Kathy and I mentioned, uh, she mentioned that when we were recently at Planned Parenthood, just on the sidewalk praying, that the ladies who drive into the, the parking lot there, that if, you know, you might look and see who's pulling in. If, if they look at you, I think, wow, you know, your eyes meet. And it might be that kind of a look. But here's what it says in Luke 22:61 and 62. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, 
you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, only Luke records this event. And I'm so thankful he did. What a look that must have been. It it lifted Peter's soul out of hell. It, It must have been such a look of deep love and compassion and understanding and forgiveness. I think it was a look that also conveyed, Peter, you denied me. You let me down. I am disappointed, but I still love you. It conveyed to Peter the hope of repentance. It said Peter went out and wept bitterly. And I think, I don't know if anyone in history ever cried as hard as Peter cried that night. And surely there's been tears that have been shed down through the ages for many awful things that have happened. Just think about murders. I mean, even natural deaths we cry. How about dreams unfulfilled? But I I wonder if the most bitter tears are when you know that you've denied Jesus. You've turned your back on him. Even if it's for a moment, you've let him down that those moments are the saddest of our life. But it was still, it was a look of hope, not disgust and unforgiveness. And that's good. For it triggered in Peter's mind the memory of Jesus' words that he was praying for him. We read that earlier. And so Jesus is praying for us too. And isn't that good to know? Even if a family member would turn their back on you, Christ won't. He will never stop interceding for you. He restores lost relationships. Second chances are possible. And that's really good news. Christ's prayer for Peter was answered. For Peter's faith did not ultimately fail. Satan almost had him, almost had his soul. He wanted to destroy him in hell, but he couldn't. Or he wanted to keep him in the hell of grief and sadness and sorrow and shame and condemnation. But he couldn't even do that because Peter's faith was put in the matchless blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, the blood that sets me free and saves me and restores me back into relationship again with God. Yes, Satan desired to have Peter and almost did. But Christ's prayer was too strong. Christ won. Satan lost. And Peter did go forth to strengthen others and be a part of that early church that spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think we can identify with Peter tonight and what he went through, that there are moments like that for us, too. But with but knowing that all we have to do is know that Jesus is looking on us. And is praying for us. That gives us hope. I want you to see this video now. Take take a look at this.
So we're back Thursday evening at the Passover, and the meal is being shared by Jesus and his disciples. And he, he says, oh, I've looked forward to, I've longed, I've desired to share this meal with you, with a guy that's going to betray him and another one that's going to deny so much as even knowing him and all the rest, like Peter, fleeing him in his hour of need. And yet Jesus' heart was still toward those men, his disciples, that he loved so much because he wanted to share the Passover meal with them and and convey to them a, a new covenant that was going to be given to them through his death on the cross. And the, the meal foreshadows that and it, it explains it so well. And a part of the Passover meal is, is at a certain point the, the host breaks the bread and passes it, and they eat it. So you have your communion cup. And by the way, does everyone have a cup tonight? Anyone need one? Donnie, up here. Yep. Yeah, you're getting in. I can hear you pulling that first top bit of a foil off to get your bread. Yeah, that can be tricky. So go ahead and do that. Jesus broke the bread and he prayed a blessing over it. And he told his disciples to take and eat this, that this was his body that was broken for them on the cross. So go ahead and eat the bread. And ponder what Jesus did for you. We sometimes deny Him, do our own thing. We're weak in moments of weakness. We, we fall, we succumb. And He.
he knew that about his disciples that night and still he shared this meal with them and, and gave them hope uh, of a new covenant in his blood and at a certain point in the meal they would come to the part where he would take the cup and there were several cups that night in the meal but a certain one he held it up and prayed a prayer of blessing over the fruit of the vine and after he prayed he told his disciples to take and drink as he passed it around and he said this is the blood my blood the new covenant that I'm making with you do this in remembrance of me go ahead and Jesus, thank you so much for what you did those hours of your passion. It was so hard that the physical and spiritual agony of that night and leading into the next day on the cross. Yet you did it all for us. You knew what we needed and that was the only way that we could be restored to a holy God and you did it. You paid it all. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather tonight and commemorate that and remember it and identify with it and put ourselves there and still be benefited by your body and your blood shed for us. Thank you for paying that price which brought us salvation. And now empower us that we might live as your sons and daughters and reflect you to a world that's growing more and more dark. And, and go with us, Lord, and lead us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name.